Hi, everyone. Uh, we just want to say thank you for being patient with us as we're learning how to be podcasters and we're learning how to navigate this uh, environment. And I know uh, things aren't necessarily consistent yet, and they're going to be changing a little bit here and there. But uh, we're trying something new this episode, and uh, it, it's a little bit of a surprise. So we hope you enjoy the episode, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna start now. Hi, I'm Dylan. And I'm Evan. And welcome back to episode three of Lessons Learned. Uh, Evan, do you want to just jump on in? Yeah, I suppose so. There's a lot in this section of the book. So we'll start off on kind of a not as fun note, but I think it's a really good one. Mm -hmm. So in one part of this chapter, he's talking about this man that's like obsessed with power. And what that looks like okay. in his life. So that's the context for this quote. He says, His faith in the value of his progress, therefore, makes it threat and frustration even of love. Our beliefs, in short, can change our reactions to everything, even those things as primarily fundamental as food and family. Okay. Which is pretty epic, I thought. Um, so with the obsession with power thing, pretty much what he's saying is that because all he cares about is power, even good things like love mm -hmm. are they're on the side for him, and they can become like a frustration or a threat to really his main goal. Gotcha. Um, so it's just, I think, it, highlighting the importance of. And his main goal is power. Mm -hmm. So everything that isn't power related is just. It, it doesn't matter. It's not okay. It's out the window. Interesting. Yeah, and I think it's kind of that danger of focusing on something so hard that. You just have blinders on to everything else. Yeah. I, I That's definitely not like a good way to live through life. Um, mm -hmm. I think we've, maybe we've covered this, but like part of the richness of life is what? Enjoying the beauty, you'd say. Learning from suffering and enjoying the beauties mm -hmm. that come from that. Yeah. I think most things that are truly beautiful were either A, created by God or B, came from suffering. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, and I think, I hope, I've read enough of this book, I hope I'm not getting the parts mixed up. Mm -hmm. I think it's something we've already gone over, that when you are challenged by things, you're going through the suffering. Yeah. That's when you can, like, reorganize how you're thinking better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered that last episode. Yeah. Um, Like, order of importance and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's really key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was I didn't think there was much to say about okay, that one. I okay. just thought it was an important one. Sure. Some of these don't have as much discussion. Mm -hmm. It's just trying to get you the basic ideas of the book. Yeah, I mean, without like the foundation, the fundamental principles, like yeah, I think things are just gonna get hard to kind of understand. Yeah. When I don't want to just be like, hey, let's talk about this super cool thing. Yeah. And with just, like, like no ground. <laughs> yeah. Skip twenty pages to get to it. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like that one. So we can just move into the next one. Um. 
I think you'll like this one. A mistake, which is the appearance of a thing or situation not envisioned, provides evidence for the incomplete nature of our plans, or indicates that those plans and the presumptions upon which they're erected are in error and must be updated, or heaven forbid, abandoned. So it's kind of a word salad. Yeah. Because that's kind of how he likes to write. Yes. So we'll break it down. Um, or I can just say like a really simple version of it, I suppose. Um, I think it's good to break it down. Okay. To understand what each what each part okay. says. So a mistake, which he's defining as the appearance of a thing or situation not envisioned. Okay. Because, you know, if you can see everything coming, that you're not going to make any mistakes. Yeah. Um, so a mistake provides evidence for the incomplete nature of our plans. Mm-hmm. Which is just another way of saying that same thing. Yeah. Um, and a mistake indicates that those plans that you had, the incomplete ones, and the presuppositions upon which they're erected are in error and must be updated. Okay. So pretty much if you're making a mistake, then it's because your plans were incomplete. And because your plans were incomplete, then that's telling you that you have to update whatever your plan was okay. because you did something wrong. Yes. Okay. I follow. I feel like I'm a little extra slow tonight. <laughs> it is. It is late though. It's late. Yeah. So. Okay. Is that that's the whole thing, right? He says in parentheses at, at the end, or heaven forbid, abandoned, which is kind of that revolutionary adaptation where it's like, do I need to change everything that I'm doing? Right. And I think. Ah oh man, I think it ties in. So the second episode to lay groundwork was. The known and unknown, chaos and order, and mm -hmm. the first episode was like placing importance. Mm -hmm. So, given all of that stuff, obviously it's tying directly into here. Yeah. Not only like the mistake, so you placed importance on something, and you kind of delved into the unknown and mm -hmm. learned from the unknown mm -hmm. that that was wrong. Yeah. That oopie. So, you made the mistake, you learned where to shift your importance, and you're going to try again, which is like scary for sure. And yeah. like, th that's why. So I, I think that's just why so many people um, like back out of ideas or they don't follow through or e even like, they don't even, they're like, Oh, I think this is important. They, and they don't even try because entering that unknown world, entering that world of like, what if, what if I fail? Mm -hmm. What if, what if everything I know is wrong, but it's like, only until you delve into that mm -hmm. are you going to be able to go like, okay, yep, so that that is wrong. That is, in fact, wrong. Yeah, and for me, it really highlights the importance of acknowledging what you've done wrong. Mm -hmm. Because if you took this kind of quote and give yourself the situation of you make a mistake and then you just ignore it and assume that it didn't mean anything and then you move on, mm -hmm. then you... It would be assumed that you have an incorrect understanding of what the world's like. And yeah. Your plans are wrong, and you're not planning on fixing that. So you're, it's only going to lead to more mistakes. Yeah. Um. So I really like that one, which is you know dealing with the mistakes that you make as soon as possible instead of letting them become bigger problems. Well, and I think like that's part of being like a parent or even a, a teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, like your job as like a parent who's teaching their kids or a teacher who is educating the future. Your job is to go like, these are the mistakes I made. Here's all the mistakes. And you know, it's, it's not on you on whether or not they like absorb that information. Yeah. You know, I say a lot, like some kids you can say, don't touch the fire. It's hot. And they won't. And other kids need to touch the fire and burn themselves and go like, 
that was hot. Some kids need to touch it two or three times. Right. And those kids yeah, yeah, we worry yeah. about. Yeah. But so many people nowadays don't even teach from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. They make the same mistakes over and over, or they make a mistake and they don't even bother sharing with like their kids or, or even those around them. You know, you can share with your friends, you know, like if we were both working on cars like, and I have more experience than you and I learned, oh, uh, you know, don't over tighten this, this uh, bolt because it's notorious mm-hmm. for snapping. And I just, like I snapped twice yeah, because I didn't realize, and you are working on the same project and I never say like, oh, be careful with that bolt. I'm just like, okay. Right. I'm, I'm not fulfilling my no. role as your friend. Well, and, you know, furthermore, like when it comes to professors, those are the best ones that are willing to say, I don't know. Like, let me look yeah. it up. Like, I trust those professors so much more. A hundred percent. Because it's like, okay, then the stuff that you are teaching me, that's spot on. Like, I know you know you, you know that. No, and even better yet, the professors that say, I don't know, let's research that, or I'll research that, mm-hmm. and I'll let you know what I find. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it, it's not only just a professor that, like, can admit to being wrong, but it's a professor that's like, hey, like, I don't know everything, but I want to learn. And because you've brought up such a great point that I'm unaware of, I, I want to learn that. Yeah, and I think that's why I think the professor that I have right now that's the best at that is mm-hmm. someone that just got their PhD last year and this is their first time as a professor Ooh. because they're young and I think that they mm-hmm. are still so engaged with learning. Yeah. Whereas some of my older professors, you know, I think most of them are good, but they're less willing to be open to learning. I feel like opinion. that's such a shame because, like, I feel like, especially later in life, you know, you're you're born uh i mean like people that are our professors you know in their 60s 70s mm-hmm. that didn't grow up with cell phones and laptops and all this stuff that there's a whole fundamental technology concept that's mm-hmm. arguably completely foreign to them and it's it's just a shame that you see those people that are in older years that are unwilling to like at least seemingly unwilling to be open to learning things because you know they don't know everything because mm-hmm. they grew up outside of the era we grew up in. Right. That doesn't necessarily make us smarter, but it gives us something that we know that they don't. And Want to tie it into this, like, if they're making mistakes with that new technology all the time, they don't know how to use it. That's the worst. And they make mistakes with it, <laughs> and then they, yeah. you know, they act like they do use it. And I think it just, I think it's hard for people because you have to be willing to be humble. Yes, that's the like biggest thing. So important. And, you know, one of my favorite things is, like, the master has to start out as the fool. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's epic. No, I mean... You can't just go into something and be insane at it. I mean, even in, like, an applicable sense, like, the apprentice and the master blacksmith. Mm-hmm. How many, like, holes did the apprentice punch in the steel? Or how many times did he, like, quench it and it cracked the steel? Right. But then, then he learned. And I think you and me are in like prime points of our life where we're just like trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, whether it's like sure. bass guitar or like even stuff like this, obviously like there's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. But it's only from going like, I will fail, but I'm going to learn from that. Mm-hmm. Can we like not only better ourselves, but better those mm-hmm. around us and, and better our kids and, mm-hmm. you know, to carry that through the entirety of your life is so yeah. crucial. And it also keeps you from getting bitter. Yeah. Because I think the people that mess up and they're not willing to try and not mess up the next time mm-hmm. just become bitter. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good way to live. Yeah, for sure. So, speaking of mistakes, it's the next quote as well. It's a great segue. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> the infinite human capacity for error means that encounter with the unknown is inevitable in the course of human experience. Or it means that the likelihood of such encounter is certain, regardless of place and time of individual existence as death and taxation. So basically... I got most of it. <laughs> yeah, I think that one was pretty straightforward, especially after the quote before that. Yeah. But, you know, literally infinite human capacity mm -hmm. for mistakes. Yeah. We're always going to mess up. Yeah. So at some point, you're going to face the unknown mm -hmm. because, like we just established in the previous quote, if you knew everything, you wouldn't be making mistakes. Yeah. So a mistake means that there was something that you didn't know. So that's yeah. your unknown. I mean, we're not omniscient. Right. You know? Yeah. We that's that's just not who we are. That's not human nature. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and I mean, I think that one's great because I really, I mean, I think it's most of what we already talked about. Yeah. So I don't know how much stuff we have to add into that. Well, can can you uh, expand on the the last, mm -hmm. like the second half of that? Because that that's where it started. Word salad again. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's where okay. it started. Kind of my brain was. Yeah. Okay. Not great. <laughs> and well, he he does this thing where he'll kind of have a whole sentence mm -hmm. and then he'll it'll be the end of the sentence and then he'll be like he had a different way that he wanted to word it mm -hmm. so then he just cuts that in yeah so he says the infinite human capacity for error means and then he goes into the unknown inevitable thing mm -hmm. and then he has a semicolon and then he said he starts the next part with means so it's like you could just cut that in to where he said means in the first sentence Oh. It's like, I'll do that here, and you'll see how it makes sense. Okay. The infinite human capacity for error mm -hmm. means that the likelihood of such encounters is as certain regardless of time and, and place and time of individual existence as death and taxation. So, like, it's two independent sentences that he's putting together. <sighs> kind okay. of. It's weird how he does it, but... It's something smart people do that I wouldn't understand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that quote... Or that half of it, I guess. Obviously, the chance of us messing up is as certain as death and taxation. Okay. that That's the word that I missed. It was as certain. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. Yeah. No, so, no. You're good. It's going to happen. Um, and then I guess the other important highlight of that is the regardless of place and time of individual existence. Uh-huh. No matter who you are or where you are or when you are. Uh-huh. You so, have capacity for error. Not to, like, rabbit hole the situation. Sure. But as certain as death, yeah. Mm -hmm. But as taxation? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just an old adage. Okay. I don't remember the exact one, but it's something like the only two things that are certain in life are death and taxation. Gotcha. Okay. So. So, I mean, yeah, just kind of like what you said. Um feel like this is one of those things where... Again, we're like like we're laying the foundation for the the cooler quotes as we progress through yeah. this part of the book, but yeah, no, there's a lot of foundation building. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is tying back into episode two. Mm -hmm. We're talking about chaos and order, the known and unknown. Yeah. Um. By the way, I'm glad that you're able to summarize them like that, because when I'm just giving these quotes and uh -huh. reading through the book, it just all gets. It's... put together in my head <laughs> so it's really hard for me to remember what was episode one and what was it's episode all two. it's all jumbled up yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um no i mean like i keep bumping the mic i'm so sorry for everyone listening uh that i keep bumping the mic but um no that's like i think that's something that like you're not experiencing as like 
as I'm doing like the back end work, mm-hmm. you know, like when I'm trying to write the description for these episodes, it's like I'm just like the uh, it's not the description, it's um, like the subtitle. Oh yeah, you know. So I'm trying to like come up with interesting things, and oh man, the first one it was something like uh, placing importance mm-hmm. or something like that. Sure. And then the other one was um, like entering the known and the unknown mm-hmm. it, something like that because like i i have to like kind of title these episodes you know yeah um so yeah for everyone watching all i do is read the book yeah and then i talk to my professor friend and figure <laughs> out the book well enough to explain it to dylan and then he's doing all the other stuff <laughs> yeah but like <laughs> i don't like i do want to read the book maybe it's a tough one but like like, I'm going to be real with y'all. I read part of the book, and I was like, man, this is, like, thicker than fudge. And Evan can read this book. <laughs> I, I did try, but it's – you. I feel like you just have a knack for it. I think I have just take a long time to read it. Mostly. I know. Yeah. Rabbit hole. You know? Yeah. I digress. Yeah. Onwards. <laughs> okay. This one is – Pretty easy. So I think I just want to... This is one where I won't explain it. Okay. I'll just see what you think about it. Okay. It's a short one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is where the unpredictable emerges that the possibility for all new and useful information exists. Read the first part again. It's where the unpredictable emerges. Do you want me to break it down? No, no, no. I just like my... No, I got you. It's I got like you. 10 p.m. I know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, okay, so it's where the unpredictable emerges, obviously, so where that's the unknown. The unknown, yes. When, um, yeah. So if I were to word it in my own words, in only the unknown is there the possibility for new and useful information. And I would water it down to new and useful information derives from the unknown. Yeah, that's probably I, the That's what I, my brain was reading it backwards. Yeah. And now I have to say it again because I can't remember what you I want me to say the whole thing. Yeah, re- yeah, no, no. Now that we have a grasp on it, go ahead and read the whole thing. It is where the unpredictable emerges that possibility for all new and useful information exists. Yes. Okay. So now that we, now that Dylan understands this, <laughs> yeah, to the fullest extent, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, I think that again, this is foundational. We're, mm-hmm. we're laying down what we we've already discussed. But I think it's just to rehash new ideas is really important. And I think that's where a lot of teachers end up like falling through is Mm -hmm. like, I've seen math teachers that are like teaching like, like basic things and even advanced things, but like just to keep an explanation simple, you know, they'll be like, well, two plus two. And they're like, I don't understand. And I, I don't know. Did your teachers do that weird point thing where they'd add dots to numbers? Mm mm. Oh man, it didn't. It didn't make any sense. You had interesting school in Michigan. I think we do have an interesting school system in Michigan, but so number one had a dot in the center. Okay. (laughs) Number two had a dot at the top and bottom. Yeah. And number three had a dot on each point. Okay. And four had one, two, three, four dots, saying that that line that was horizontal went past the vertical line. Okay. I know I'm saying like a lot, especially for those who are just listening. Um, and, and so forth. So my point is they would add dots to numbers corresponding to 
the value of the number. Mm-hmm. So I, I watched this teacher that was like, well, two plus two count the dots. And the kid didn't understand. So for everybody who is listening, if you draw your two, just kind of like a standard two, right? So you do the curve and then that curve comes to an end and then you go straight back across, right? So you have the curve and the horizontal line. This The start is one dot and the end is a second dot. But okay. the kid was counting that point as a third dot because that was like the end of a line. Oh, I see. So he didn't, he wasn't getting that two was the value of like two dots. He was getting it that two was the value of three dots. Mm-hmm. And that's all the teacher would do. So my point is, is like the teacher just kept saying, count the dots and he'd count three dots mm-hmm. because that's what he understood it as because that's how he saw the number. So, so like she wasn't willing to go, right. She wasn't willing to like try something new. Yeah. She wasn't willing to try this new idea of explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that wasn't exactly what we were talking about, but I think it's important when we kind of break these topics down that we're not just like, you're not just reading the book and then reading it a little slower so I can like understand. Right. Like Applying we're it. pulling it apart and then rereading it so like the whole concept makes sense. I think that's just really important. So for like everybody listening that heard episode two and got lost in some of the stuff, like this is new foundation, re-explained that can really help as we continue to progress, mm-hmm. which is something I notice in class is a teacher will explain a concept and sometimes it'll go over my head, but a, I know a good teacher, I'll understand it the next time they reiterate it because they'll mm-hmm. reiterate it different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, I know that's a little off topic from what. No, I mean, that's what I have to do said. at a smaller level when I'm reading this book. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, it's I like, know. I'll read it. I'll read a topic sentence and I'm like, that's an important sentence. Mm-hmm but I do not understand it. And then I'll read the next couple of sentences and I'm like, okay. And then I can go back and look at the topic sentence and understand it. it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was doing with another book that you had recommended to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I feel like a lot of these bigger books like Jordan Peterson and rise and triumph of the modern self by yeah. Carl Truman. Great book. Um, you really have to break it down. And even then, like when you break it down, you just can't. And you're like, what? And, and then you have to let you have to read on and it's a little it's frustrating it's a little tricky and stuff but i think that's just like that's part of learning how to learn yeah you know it is understanding work. that sometimes you need a reiteration mm-hmm. in a different format yeah and i think that's part of what we were talking about too with being humble and being willing to be the fool yeah no yeah and ultimately it comes sure. down to it comes down to being like i'm gonna be the fool like professor i don't un- like i don't understand at Dude, all i ask so many questions in class Right, I'm but one that, of the top you... two or three people that asks questions. How else do you learn? I know. Well, and it helps you stay engaged when you're focusing on like, do I understand this? Do I understand yeah. this? Yeah. Well, and something that we've been trying to do recently when we develop relationships is like asking each other questions mm-hmm. because like we're all like the same age, you know, we're all kind of going through similar things, so it makes no sense for you to be like, yeah, like this class just it just really sucks, and I just don't want to do it. And I'm just like, yeah, it does that, yeah. <laughs> you know? So like, I know you're, you're really good at this because of the career you want to go into, but you're more so I'm the one that says class sucks mm-hmm. and, and you'll be like, well, why? And I'll explain it. And you're like, okay, so like, what about this? If I'm like, oh, well, like, you know, the professor's just like, professor just rushes through everything. Okay. So like, why don't you? ask a question or why don't you learn about that on like outside of this? And, and I think that's something like we're really trying to implement, which is great. 
um, is to like be asking questions. Mm-hmm. And even though it doesn't make you necessarily look like the fool, arguably, like, I feel like when you ask me questions, I'm like, man, Evan's so smart. But well, I think yeah, it's I just... mean, it's not like you're being the fool, but you're willing to dive into the unknown. Exactly. In order to figure out new things. Well, you're extrapolating all the data you could possibly need. Mm-hmm. And with all this information, can you come to like a, a conclusion that is like not only just like, oh, like this is a decent conclusion. It's like, no, this is like a good conclusion. Mm-hmm. This is like a well thought out, mm-hmm. well executed conclusion. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. Good I think stuff. that's just important. I think so. To, to do that in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, next quote then, I suppose. So I think, man, this one, I think you should understand, but we'll go slow anyways, because <laughs> it's longer again. It's a word salad. Okay. 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 So that's the thing, something I'll notice too, is I'll, I'll understand like the first part of a sentence Yeah. when I'm reading it. And then he'll just have like comma, 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 comma with like all these um, like prepositional phrases and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah. you lost me, dude. Yeah. So like he has a lot of parentheses too. So I will. I've started skipping the the paragraph. Okay. Or the parentheses. Read read it the whole thing. Okay. And then we'll break it down from yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. We are protected from unpredictability by our culturally culturally determined beliefs by the stories we share. These stories tell us how to presume and how to act to maintain the determinate, shared, and restricted values that compose our familiar worlds. So the first sentence of that, we're protected from unpredictability by our culturally determined beliefs. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, we're protected from unpredictability by the stories that we share. Okay. And I, I really liked this quote because... I think it's a way that we can understand the importance of having like a community. Okay. Um, so let's take like a, like a Christian community example, for, mm-hmm. since that's the one that we're in. Um, <clears throat> so when things go wrong, we can rely on our community and the beliefs that are propagated in that community to stand up to the thing that's unpredictable. Uh, the camera something. just did a weird thing. Yeah. Still recording. It's still recording. Cool. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. I'm still. Brain. Okay. I. Th- I think what's catching me up is not so much what he's saying. I guess it is like exactly what he's saying. Not like the words mm-hmm. or the concept, perhaps, mm-hmm. but. Um, I think it's a peculiar way. I'm sorry that we're just breaking down the first of the sentence, but so well, I might be able. It, it might make more sense to go to the second sentence. I think then. it makes sense. It's just obscure, I which think. is why I think the second okay. one grounds it a bit better. Okay, okay, okay. So the stories that we share mm-hmm. tell us how to presume and how to act to maintain the things that we understand. Okay. Um. And that's the determinate, shared, and restricted values that compose our world. So pretty much, our culture has like certain beliefs, mm-hmm. and those tell us how to act when we're in the unknown. Yeah, as I think the most most uh, watered down version of this. Yeah, and I thought it was super fascinating 
because yeah. it demonstrates the importance of like our Christian values and how they're super important to us, but also just like society in general, like the values and stuff that people are propagating are going to inform people that are growing up in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to tell them how to act and yeah. how to react to the unknown. Well, I mean, like breaking it down to like the root parents says, don't touch hot fire. The kid that never touches it because he just trusts his parents is going to tell his kids don't touch fire because it's hot and mm-hmm. it will hurt, mm-hmm. right? Is am I am I following the same concept just at a very basic level? No, I think you're spot on. I okay. think I'm on a different aspect of it, but you're spot on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so with that being said, kind of looking at a more uh, like a complex kind of idea, um, uh, like premarital sex. Mm-hmm. Premarital sex is bad. God says don't do it. Bible says don't do it. And even the parents that didn't do that, um, don't do that. And they tell their kids don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like that is like, that keeps you safe. Yeah. Especially like as a Christian, like those beliefs that I know that's kind of like, it was just the first thing that popped in my head. But, you know, going into like beyond that, like murder, mm-hmm. <laughs> like don't murder. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, there's plenty of parents that t- tell their kids don't murder and it, and those parents never do it their kids never do it and etc but it's only until like somebody makes the mistake that it's like that idea is rehashed yeah. you know reevaluated where it's like this is bad again back to like that rudimentary concept rudimentary concept um don't touch fire it's hot parent don't do it kids doesn't do it the kids kids don't do it but those that fourth generation one of those guys touch fire and they're like, oh, yes, That's I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think <clears throat> a reason that this is really important is actually something that connects to Rise and Triumph mm-hmm. of the Modern Self is that we don't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, we can't just be our independent selves. Mm-hmm. We determine our identity based on the people that surround us. Mm-hmm. So I actually liked your example of premarital sex because you could grow up in a household that says don't do it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do it because everyone around you that's a figure of authority is saying it's bad. Mm-hmm. But then let's say you go to college or something like that. You're away from that family and that structure. And then everyone around you is having sex all the time. And they're like, no, it's like, fine. You know, we're just like having fun. It's part of being a human being. Like yeah. that's just something that people do. Um, so it's okay for you to do it. And then you're going to react in a new way because of the new values that are shared in this new community. Yeah. And I think to tie into like a, an earlier conversation you and I had today, um, that, that reason is exactly why I am passionate about this podcast Mm -hmm. because I, I mean pretty much exactly what you described happened to me. Yeah. You know, I grew up rural country, conservative ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. And I came to college and everybody was like, no. <laughs> and, yeah. and it like, it, it's not even that like, I, I like, I didn't waver in my belief to the extent that I was like, yeah, guns are bad. But I was just like, well, you know, I can kind of understand mm-hmm. like, it's much more control. libertarian. Yeah. It's like everyone can do their own thing. Just leave me alone. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't even like that. I was like, no, I understand like some gun control. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, no, like your second amendment right is the right to bear arms. And mm-hmm. at the time people owned cannons. Mm-hmm. A cannon makes a person not 
exist. Well, just beyond not exist, like, you're not going to go like, ah, yes, a person was killed by cannon. You're going to be like, this room's a nice shade of red. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and people own those. Like, individuals own those. So, like, it's preposterous to think that there needs to be some level of control. And that was just so heavily pushed on me. Mm-hmm. And I've shot guns. I've shot plenty of guns. And and even just being surrounded by that, it was hard. Yeah. And, like, to come back to my point, that's why I'm so passionate about this podcast and why I'm excited to do it. At least this is my personal reason for excitement is just, like, we get to create this environment mm-hmm. of like strong faith and strong beliefs and stuff, whether or not people hundred percent agree or not. I think it's, we have an uncommon view an uncommonly talked about view, especially in our age group. It definitely feels uncommon. Yeah, it definitely feels uncommon. So for anybody listening that agrees with what we're saying, or even if you moderately agree, you know, the idea is that, you feel a little bit more secure in your belief. You feel a little bit more grounded in what you believe in and you're not so worried about, oh, well, everybody else around me, da 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 You're not alone. And that's what this is. And mm-hmm. I, that's why I'm glad we're friends and such good friends because, mm-hmm. I mean, before we were so close, I was really wishy-washy about a lot of things. Yeah, same. Yeah, and I think just being able to discuss... Mm-hmm. And not discuss in a bubble, but discuss by poking holes in each other's well, just, arguments. Yeah, discuss freely. I think a lot of the issue with my classes especially is that I feel like if I'm not careful about what I say, mm-hmm. I'm going to be judged. Yeah, and that's wrong. That mm-hmm. is so wrong. You pay for that class. Yeah, and I mean, I get like judging people. Obviously, I'm not perfect. I judge other people. Yeah. But I don't judge them to the extent that I will think of them as a lesser person for voicing their opinion. Right. And and you've actually experienced people in your class that like openly say they view people lesser because mm-hmm. even like historical figures, because yeah, they just had, disagree with them. I had one person in my class, we were talking about George Washington and one of his run, like he had a runaway slave and the book was focused on her, the runaway slave, but it also talked about George Washington and kind of humanized him in a couple different ways. And I was just kind of surprised. So we were talking about it in a discussion. I was like, I'm surprised that it gave Washington that credit, mm-hmm. kind of considering the focus of the book. And this one girl kind of just chuckled and said that she just struggles to see Washington as a person at all. And like, that's the problem. That's like the root of this problem. Mm-hmm. Because... And I think this is where, like, at least for me, this is that's the root of my passion for this podcast and why I'm, like, unapologetically talking about the things that I, at least I say. And mm-hmm. I know most of the time you're just agreeing with me <laughs> or at least we bounce ideas off of each other. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I – yeah, wow. I just – No, and I mean – I think that's why it's important to have a culture or community that you can rely on. Yeah. Because I don't know well, what we would do if we didn't have that. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't honestly, like, uh, as bromancy as it sounds, oh, like, I don't know what I would do without you. Mm. I think just being so involved in that culture that violently opposed me, I think at some point I would break 
maybe not to the fullest mm-hmm. extent, but like I don't think I'd have the same values that I have now. And I mean, I like since I met like my girlfriend, like my values extremely change. And then I'm, and then I met you, you know, before we started, we had started dating and then I met you and you've changed my values more. And then, then me and my girlfriend started dating. It was, it changed even more Mm -hmm. and just, and I think a lot of people get caught up with the misconception, like, like we're in a bubble Mm -hmm. and we're absolutely not. Mm -hmm. We argue about everything. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely a danger in it, but yeah, I think that's why we try to challenge our own beliefs is because something that I worry about is something that uh, Jordan Peterson has talked about in this book, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. assuming that you're understanding the world correctly and then turns out, nope, you have it completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Game over. You got to rethink everything. Yeah. And that breaks it down to like, that's the unknown. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something I worry about is like, I'd rather face the unknown to challenge myself mm-hmm. than stay in what I think is the yeah. known territory and then suddenly have it all flipped around and I'm dropped in the unknown. I don't know where I am. Yeah. And I personally, I feel like I chase after the unknown because, and we've kind of talked about this. Um, I chase the unknown because I like knowing things, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to know more if I stay in the known, Yeah, you know? And I think it breaks down to that, that fire analogy that I always give with like lighting up the forest mm-hmm. um and i'll give it now but you know imagine you start life in in a dark dark forest and you can't see anything you have like a little match and as you're becoming an individual and growing and stuff your your parents are helping you build a little fire so the idea is by the time you leave home you have like a decent campfire and the point is is that you can see a lot more of the dark forest with a campfire than a match so as you experience life and as you grow, the idea is that you're lighting torches and placing them around this dark forest to expand what you can see, expand your knowledge is mm-hmm. the metaphor here. But more importantly, the more of the forest you see, the more you realize it is far bigger than you thought it was. Mm-hmm. And you know so little. And that's personally where my pursuit of the unknown comes into play where it's like, man, I know so little. I want to know more. Mm -hmm. I like knowing things, but I can't know unless I enter the unknown. Yeah. And I think that that's Jordan Peterson's point here with the unpredictable. It's where the unpredictable emerges that the possibility for all new useful information exists. Yeah. Is like, if you want to learn anything new, you're going to have to try and, Mm -hmm. you know, go into somewhere where you don't know anything. Exactly. Um, What a great way to tie it back. That's what I'm here for. We're just... (laughs) <laughs> We're just like three levels ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. So I got a couple more quotes. Okay. Yeah. This one, I'm gonna probably break it down as I go because it's four lines long. It's very long. Mm-hmm. So, fair warning: the battery on the camera is getting low. Okay. So we might call technical difficulties. Okay, that's fine. Just in case. So if you hear like a sharp click. Uh, every explorable subter- subterritory, so to speak, has its sensory ab- uh, aspect. So, an explorable subterritory would be going into like a new room, okay, or something like that. Of like a whole building. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Or a, well, a subterritory could even be a new building. Oh. Um. Okay. But it's just it's a, a territory that's explorable. 
Okay. So okay. it has its sensory aspect, mm-hmm. which is the things that you can see, touch, feel, hear. Yeah. So it has all of that, but it is the emotional or motivational relevance of the new domain that's truly important. Nope. So we can <laughs> we can see, you know, what we touch in a room. Yeah, the um, tangible. Yeah, there's the tangible world. Yeah. And then there's the world of significance. What he's arguing is that we care more about the world of significance. Um, and he demonstrates that in the second line here, which you're probably going to like since you brought this up earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to know only that something is hard and glowing red. so like a, a pan mm-hmm. on a stove or something as a means of keeping track of the fact that it is hot and therefore dangerous, that it is punishing if contacted. So what he's saying is if you're, if you see a hot stove, you don't pay attention to the fact that it's red and glowing for the sake of the fact that it's red and glowing. Right. That has a meaning. You, you do that because you're saying, okay, I'm not going to touch that because it's hot. Yeah. Okay. Which is a cool way to think about it. It, no, I feel like that's what most of this book is. Mm-hmm. Is it's like we're like ah yes, cup hot, don't touch. Yeah, and I say cup because I'm looking at your cup. Right. Um, well, and then Jordan Peterson goes and points out like you're not pointing out that that's a cup. You're pointing out that it's hot. Yeah. Exa- well, that's the important thing. Yeah. Like we can see fire, we can see stovetop, mm-hmm. we can we can see these things. Yeah, but you don't look at it go, for what it is. And our initial concept is like oh, yeah. And that that's not like you said, that's not a tangible concept. Mm-hmm. That's deriving from the tangible things and then we've created a meaning. Wow. Yeah. And I think his argument is that it's necessary for survival. Because Oh, absolutely. For example, if you go into like a new I don't think I brought this up last episode. Mm-hmm. If you go into a new room. Yeah. Or like a cave, let's say. That's yeah. a good example. If you go into a cave that you've never been in before, mm-hmm. you're only going to feel safe once you understand there's nothing dangerous in there. Yeah. So you're not looking at like the rocks and stuff that's in there. Yeah. You're looking at is there danger? That's well, your primary thing is the significance of the cave. It goes back to episode one mm-hmm. when we were talking about like uh, you do things out of like moral, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I wake up and I look around my room to make sure it's safe. Mm-hmm. Like even my own room, the first thing I do is ensure safety. Right. I ensure that, you know. It's the motivational significance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That caused you to do that. And, oh man, everything ties back together so beautifully. It's cool. It's cool for sure. Since we might lose the battery at some point. Mm-hmm. The last, do you have anything else to say about that one? No. I thought that one was just pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So the last one we have, we could talk about it for a second. Mm-hmm. And it'll take a moment to explain. It's not super long, but so. It's the first part is fear is the a priori condition. What's a priori? So let's see if I can get it right. So there's a priori uh-huh. and there's a posteriori. So a priori, let's say re- for reasoning, for example, um, a priori would be reasoning through something without experience of the specific thing. Like so, like intuition. It's like making a decision before you have the experience. Yeah. And then a posteriori is making decisions based on the experience. So like post is the beginning of that word. So it's like after the fact. Wait, so say say the word, the a, word. A posteriori. 
a posteriori. It's a space posteriori. Which is making a decision based on, on experience. experience. And then the other one is... A priori. A priori. So there's no post. Okay. No. So yeah, a priori is based on reason mm-hmm. alone. Alone. Right. Not based on experience. Maybe it could be based a on... A priori is based but... on no experience. Yeah. A, a, a po- posteriori. A posteriori is Rock. based on experience. I have a laptop. I can look it up. <laughs> yeah, it's a posteriori. Okay. A posteriori. Okay. Yeah, so that's based on experience. Okay, so he's saying that fear is the a priori condition. Okay. So fear is the condition before experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, unsuccessful exploration, uh-huh. by contrast, avoidance or escape, leaves the novel object firmly entrenched in its initial natural anxiety-provoking category. So I'll explain that, and then I'm going to go back <laughs> and talk about some really cool stuff that he does in the book with this whole fear being a priori. It's always the first part of the sentence. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting smarter. And then it's the second <laughs> yeah. part where I'm like, I'm not getting smarter. He really tricks you, doesn't he? Yeah, no, he does. So unsuccessful exploration, which would be avoidance or escape. Mm-hmm. So you try to explore and you fail. Okay. Leaves the novel object. And he's using novel to say new. Okay. So if there's like a new object over there. Okay. You're first going to react with to it with fear. Right. Before it's... anything else, because yeah. you don't know what it's going to do yet. Yeah. So... Um, if you avoid or escape that new thing, you're going to leave it firmly entrenched in its initial anxiety provoking category. Yeah. So if you don't go deal with it, it's going to stay scary. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Crazy. There's so many things that come to mind. Yeah. There's so so many hundreds of routes. What I want to explain Uh is what else he does in the book that has to do with fear is he talks a lot about psychology experiments Mm -hmm. and how in a lab, they're not good. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, they have some use, but when you're talking about like motivational significance and fear and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, there's a study conducted on rats to see how they react to new stimulus. Yeah. And pretty much the way that it was commonly understood was that you put a rat in a cage or something like that, and then you do something to provoke it or scare it. Yeah. Well, then you assume, okay, so it's normally, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just chilling. And then you do something and it gets scared. Yeah. Jordan Peterson says that's incorrect. Yeah. It started out scared when you first put it in that cage. Yeah. And then it determined that the cage was safe once it was in that cage for a little bit. Yeah. And then once it thought it was safe, then you did something else to change that environment. Yeah. So then it had to readjust and figure out if it was safe or not. You created an unknown. Yeah. And I feel like... But the the problem is that they assume that the fear is because of like a new thing uh-huh. which it technically is but it's not in the same sense of like they're normally not fearful because right. they normally are fearful and you know what assuming does oh boy and i'm not gonna say it yeah but if you know what assuming does it does something to you and me but um i think uh, a little bit easier concept for people who don't own rats yeah. To understand, think of like a new puppy. You pick up the puppy, you bring the puppy home. At least my dog was nervous. Mm-hmm. Like she was scared because it's a radically new environment. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't necessary until... for survival. It is, absolutely. And like, think about babies or like toddlers that are learning how to walk. Mm-hmm. You, and, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Um, 
when a toddler falls, you're not supposed to make a big deal of it. You're not supposed to go like, oh, sweet baby. Right. You're supposed to like laugh yeah. or just be like, oh, haha, because they are gauging your reaction because that fall is new for them. And, and it might not be the react. first time, but like second or third, you know, mm -hmm. they don't know how to react. So they look at you. So if you just go, ha ha, the baby's going to go funny. And, and that, and like, that is what that is. It yeah. is okay to fall. Yeah. And you know, like in regards to like survival, like going back all the way to like rudimentary things, caveman being a made of afraid of fire made sense what is it it is smoking it is hot i don't know and of course they touched it to make the unknown mm -hmm. known but had they just jumped in, had they been like fire and just walked into it i don't think that would have been very good for the success of caveman which i don't i don't know what the history behind that is i don't know i digress <laughs> um something i wanted to point out that's super important in this part of the chapter mm -hmm. it has to do with fear um i'm gonna read it i wasn't gonna read this quote originally but i think it'll help demonstrate the point so social order is necessary is a necessary precondition for psychological stability okay in other words it's primarily our companions and their actions or inactions that stabilize or destabilize our emotions so that's what we were talking about earlier, right? Yes. The idea that the ways that other people act are kind of a check on how we act, and mm -hmm. we learn from those other things. Like same, it's like the values and yeah. stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> so the reason that this is important is because our current society is so protected that we don't need to normally be fearful. Yeah. So most people have a fundamental misunderstanding about what the normal condition is <sighs> you because just we haven't all the way we back, haven't had you? to live in fear normally yeah but that's like what our brains are trained to do yeah and he goes a bit into the amygdala and hippocampus and stuff mm -hmm. in this chapter just like he did the last chapter talking about how those most fundamental parts of the brain or most ancient parts of the brain um how they're they focus on fear yeah and in the next chapter, I don't know how much I'll bring it up, but I guess this next episode, chapter, yeah. whatever, he talks about the left and right hemisphere mm -hmm. and how the right hemisphere is supposed to deal That's... with like unexplored territory. Oh. Um, and it's like better at dealing with the unknown. And I guess, well, I'll try and find some stuff so we can go through it okay. in depth. But we're getting like really smart here. Fear is. <laughs> absolutely fundamental to human experience yes is what he's arguing and mm -hmm. because we are so protected and stuff people don't recognize that now yeah and i'm wondering this is just me speculating at this point and maybe it's a claim he'll make later mm -hmm. obviously it's bad it feels bad to be fearful yeah so what if it's the kind of thing where we like we're not supposed to have a bunch of like carbs, you know? Yeah. Like according like back before agriculture and stuff, like we didn't mm -hmm. is the argument. Yeah. Um and then we got a bunch of it, which is why a bunch of people get overweight. Yeah. Is because they're eating so much more than they should have been able to eat. Mm -hmm. Like according to their body. Mm -hmm. So what if it's a similar idea with fear mm -hmm. where we were supposed to experience fear often because it kept us in check and it kept us learning and everything. 
and then people got so used to having access to not being fearful yeah that they become like addicted to that yeah and then they're not willing to experience new things at all well dude this breaks down to what our pastor was saying about oh, this past weekend or a week ago or something comfort is the enemy mm -hmm. and if you look at secular culture it is all about comfortability if you want to have sex, that's your right. Go have sex with whomever, whenever you want, however you want. And that's damaging to the individual. Yeah. But that's comfortable because you're giving into a desire. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be uncomfortable according to secular culture because that is bad. Uncomfortability is bad. It's, it's not good for you. So have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. Eat whatever you want, however much you want and mm -hmm. stuff. Because like being overweight's beautiful now mm -hmm. so it's like well i don't have to be uncomfortable i don't have to not eat i don't have to like control my intake mm -hmm. i can just be as comfortable as i want which well it's the same thing with identity in general is you yeah you can choose who you are mm -hmm. and you don't have to conform to society which is a complete turnaround from what it used to be which was you know even yeah. less than a hundred years ago, it was you learn how to be a part of the community that you're in. Yeah, but like being a part of the community you in, you're in, is often misconstrued as like be a societal slave and stuff. But if you look at what's going on right now, that's true now more than it has been before because it was highly encouraged for you as an individual to make your life. Mm -hmm. But now it's encouraged for you as the individual to be comfortable. Don't make your life, allow your life to be made for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that comfortability derives, or sorry, that comfortability leads into um, the not the fear, not having fear in our society, not exploring the unknown. Mm -hmm. Because it is uncomfortable to be in the unknown. It very much so is. Because fear isn't comfortable. We don't like yeah. being scared. So yeah, that's what I'm wondering is there's obviously it's just speculation based on what we've been talking about, but mm -hmm. are people addicted to avoiding fear? And I'm not saying that anyone will like go out and be fearful. Sure. But I think to specify or to kind of reword what you're saying, I think they're addicted to comfortability. Mm -hmm. They're addicted to being comfortable and therefore, because the unknown and fear is uncomfortable, it is not in the status quo. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's a problem with technology, too, is that it allows people to remain comfortable mm -hmm. because of so much technology, especially yeah. like the Internet. You don't even have to go out no. to talk to people. No. And there's no consequences for your actions. Right. You can say whatever you want, however you want. And yeah, of course, like mm -hmm. cancel culture and all this stuff, but ignore that. You can insult anybody you want, whenever you want, however you want. There's no repercussions. Right. Before, if I wanted to insult you, I had to say it to your face. Yeah. And now I can just jump online and say it and I'm 2,000 miles right. away. What are you, what are you going to do? So fear is no longer a motivator to make sure you're being like alert as yeah. to what you're actually doing. Well, and that's like, I feel like a lot of problems derive from that. Ultimately, being comfortable in your life and like being addicted to being comfortable ultimately leads to probably the most, the highest level of uncomfort. Mm -hmm. Being overweight isn't 
uncomfortable. Like that's speaking from experience. Mm -hmm. My feet hurt. My knees hurt. My back hurts. Shoes don't fit. Clothes don't fit. It's uncomfortable. I don't like clothes shopping. You know, that's hard. That sucks. That's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So to be uncomfortable like I am now by changing my diet and trying to lose weight, that's uncomfortable. But ultimately, my feet feel better. My knees feel better. My joints, my clothes fit better. I feel more confident clothes shopping. Mm -hmm. So it's that initial fear. It's that initial unknown. It's the initial Mm -hmm. level of uncomfort that leads to a successful and comfortable life. Yeah. But it's, it's getting over that hurdle because that's the difference. Your choice is whether or not you're going to be comfortable in that moment. It's it's a we're talking about I think in episode 1 uh instant satisfaction you were talking about video games. Oh, the camera died. Oh, it's dead dead. Yeah, we're almost done with the episode. Sorry everyone. Um we're almost done with the episode. We're just going to cut the video here and we're just going to continue with this these final thoughts. Um thanks for dealing with this everyone. Again, I know I said at the beginning of the video, but we really appreciate the patience that comes with people who are new to podcasting and stuff. Um, but we're going to finish off without a video right now. If yep. you're okay with that, Evan, I didn't really have anything else. Okay. Um, no, but like I was saying, it's that, it's that initial level of uncomfort. Mm-hmm. It's that instant gratification, right? If you were instantly gratified in the comfort that you seek right now, I'm comforted by eating chocolate cake, mm-hmm. right? right? That's comforting because it, it tastes good, right? And it gives me that dopamine rush. If you seek instant gratification, what's going to lead, what's going to happen is when you eat the chocolate cake, you're going to gain the weight. And when you gain the weight, your feet are going to hurt, your knees are going to hurt, everything's going to start hurting, clothes aren't going to fit, you're going to feel uncomfortable taking pictures. I know I'm uncomfortable in pictures and going clothes shopping. Clothes don't fit right, you know? Mm-hmm. There's so much of that. And And again, tying it back to everything we've been talking about, um, if you stop doing that, if you go, no, the importance in my life needs to be on this. The importance in my life needs to be on eating healthy and being healthy. It's kind of uncomfortable. You know, I don't like all vegetables. I know you can relate to that. Yeah. So I can agree. (laughs) Yeah. So or just eating less or or just not eating everything that gives me instant gratification. That's uncomfortable. It's not great. But the consequences, I lose the weight, my feet don't hurt, my back doesn't hurt, mm-hmm. clothes fit better. I feel more confident. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't look that bad. So ultimately that sacrifice again, making another connection. It's placing your importance on it's placing yeah. the importance correctly I, I and living we- in that uncomfortability. And making the sacrifices that gives you a rewarding and comfortable life ultimately. Yeah, I think it's just something that is probably a truism. Yeah. That just can be true in pretty much any situation. So it's something you can talk about forever. Yeah. It's because it's just true everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's interesting. We're so far we're only so far in the book and everything just wraps up into this nice Yeah. For reference for everyone, we're about sixty pages in. Out of how many? Probably 300 or so. 300 or so. So we have a long long ways to go. season or a volume as we're calling yeah. it. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I don't I don't want to like just keep beating a dead horse here. But like I just think it's really amazing how everything really ties together. And I feel like that was my personal revelation that I just had right there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everything ties to this nice bow. And... Yeah, no, he can be very wordy 
but uh-huh. I think overall the organization's very good. Yeah. And I think it's intentional. For sure. I see you're typing. Oh, it's nothing. Okay. Is there is there another quote or no, we're done for this episode? Yeah, that's all my quotes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I th- I don't know. I thought it was it was a good episode. Mhm. It was a good chapter as we're calling it. Yeah. Um I think a great way to wrap it up. Are you doing this intentionally? What? Like I feel like the quotes we've been ending on usually wrap up very nicely. No, not really. I just kind of go as far as I read. Uh-huh. But I'm doing them in order of how the book has them, so. Gotcha. Just works out. <laughs> well, um if if you don't have anything in regards to uh any more quotes uh can wrap up this episode do you have any anything closing remarks or anything no i mean thanks for sticking with the technical difficulties yeah because uh, i know that i would be annoyed listening to it so yeah well for everybody on spotify it doesn't change <laughs> no but um yeah again just we appreciate your patience and and we're working on getting everything sorted out so we can be a little bit more uh consistent with everything that's going on yeah um but nonetheless we hope you enjoyed the episode we hope you heard something new and gleaned a little information or maybe we're able to uh shift your perspective just a bit um if, if evan doesn't have anything else to say i'm good dude then we're uh then we're gonna close the episode thank you so much for coming to episode three of lessons learned i hope you have a fantastic week and we will see you in the next episode